Good evening, you're listening to Transpositive here on KBOO Community Radio. Uh, tonight we are talking about uh, what, are the, what are the great things about having a speakers bureau? Like go all the way across the country and uh, talk to some folks who do a LGBTQ speakers bureau out there. And we're also gonna talk to someone who's part of that speakers bureau who's actually right here in Portland. So um, uh, without any further ado, let's get started. Um, we'll start, uh, Ellen, can you uh, introduce yourself? Hi, Emma, yeah. Uh, I'm Ellen Rudstrom. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm the executive director of Speak Out Boston. Um, and we are, like you were saying, we're an LGBTQ plus speakers bureau, and we've been doing this for 50 years as of this year. Thanks. And Dave, could you introduce yourself, please? Sure. So I'm David Houle, and I use he, him pronouns. Um, I'm a speaker for Speak Out and also do some uh, trainings as well. And I identify as a gay guy. Great, thank you. And Kay, would you introduce yourself, please? Hi, everyone. My name is Kay Gordon, and I use they, them pronouns. I'm a speaker with Speak Out, um, although a year ago I moved to Portland, and I've still been able to do virtual uh, speaking, which has been really fun. I also was on the training team for a little while. Great. Okay, so let's go back to Ellen first. Um, Ellen, if you could, um, can you please tell us uh, about Speak Out, it, you say it's, uh, I, I think I saw that it's 50 years old or something like that. That's right. Um, what is Speak Out? And um, let, let's start with that. Yeah, well, we are a community of speakers and we, um, I'm the only paid staff. So we are a fairly small and grassroots organization, um, which is also run by our board of directors and our group of volunteers who act as speakers. So we train all of our speakers um, to tell their personal stories and engage with different kinds of audiences um, to raise awareness about LGBTQ plus lives um, raise awareness about the issues that are important to us. And we go out to schools, colleges, businesses, faith communities, public libraries, organizations, all sorts of spaces. Um, they invite us in to help them um, create safer and more inclusive spaces for LGBTQ plus people and hopefully for everyone. Um, and so we uh, 
we go out, we tell our stories, and then we open ourselves up for questions. And so our, our motto has always been, ask us anything. We want to create a safe space um, so that people can ask, you know, even awkward questions that they might have about, you know, LGBTQ plus lives, you know. Um, not everyone ha has people in their lives who they can ask questions about and talk to about issues that they may see in the news or they may have going on in their family. Um, someone might have come out as trans or someone might have come out as bisexual in their family, but they don't have another place to talk about questions they might have. And so this would, this is often a very good space for people to ask those questions and to find out from people who are very open. Um, and that's the wonderful thing about our speakers. Um, they know when they take on the responsibility of being a speaker that they are um, making themselves vulnerable. They are sharing things that not everyone wants to share. Um, they don't have to share things they don't want to, but they do so often they open themselves up to really ensure that people understand on a very human level um, what it is to be an LGBTQ plus person. And um, it's very gratifying work for the speakers themselves. It's gratifying for me working with these amazing speakers um, and seeing a lot of growth too, because the experience of sharing your story with other people and engaging with people about that can be a real eye-opening experience for the speakers themselves. Um, and sometimes people have talked to me about that process and how it has really helped them heal in many ways um, with sharing their stories. So we, um, when I mentioned we go out to schools, a lot of times we might be invited into health classes. So we'll be talking to a whole bunch of students, whether it's middle school, high school. And um, often the youth, the youth that we talk to, um, they know a lot. They'll know a lot more sometimes than some of the adult audiences, but they, um, they really actually ask some interesting personal questions of us sometimes. Um, they listen to our stories in a particular way and want to know certain things about our experiences. And that is kind of cool. Um, adult audiences, whether it's uh, in libraries or businesses and that kind of thing, adult audience very often get into kind of the bigger topic issues, um, want to know more about, you know, how do we, how to be, how to be a supportive ally um, to their LGBTQ plus friends or colleagues, that kind of thing. Um, we also, in all of our audiences at particular times, and right now we're coming up to the midterm elections, as we know, um, this is an important time to make people aware of how they can be a supportive ally in terms of um, asserting democracy <laughs> and voting. Um, and being an educated voter and finding out who is supporting the LGBTQ plus community um, in the area that they're going to be voting for. And so we bring up political issues a lot. Um, we were just a few years back, the transgender rights bill in Massachusetts was challenged. 
and they had a referendum. And that was a really important time for Speak Out and other organizations in the state to educate the electorate as much as possible about transgender rights and why it was important to maintain them. Um, and, and we feel really proud that we were a part of that project and that we were so successful because it was the, um, the referendum overwhelmingly was in our favor to protect transgender rights. So those kind of things are really important to our organization and to our speakers as, as individuals feeling a part of that. Thanks, Ellen, so much for uh, letting us know about Speak Out and um, kind of what you do. Um, so we have two speakers from Speak Out here with us today, Dave and Kay, and um, uh, they both have their unique stories to share. So we're going to ask them to share a little bit of their story and um, and then maybe also tell us a little bit about how they got involved in Speak Out uh, towards the end. So let's start with Kay because Kay is right here in Portland. Um, Kay, welcome to Transpositive. Thanks, Emma. Thanks. Um, so, Kate, can you tell us a little about, about your story? Like if you went into a school or spoke to an audience that maybe didn't know that much about trans or non-binary issues, could you kind of give us um, a sample of what you might be telling them about? Yeah, absolutely. We'll sort of launch into it. Um, so, hi, everyone. I'm Kay. I use they, them pronouns, and I am currently 31. I lose track as I got over 21, it didn't matter as much. <laughs> um, but I grew up in a suburb of LA called Downey. Uh, I have a Mexican mom and a Jewish dad and a older brother. And uh, when I was a kid, I sort of followed him around a lot. I was, you know, I thought I was a girl. So I was the, the little sister um, giving him hugs when he didn't want them and all of that. Um, but <laughs> we, you know, played BMX extreme going over like little bumps on our bikes in the backyard. Um, I played basketball with the boys at recess. Um, I was always sort of a tomboy. I thought of myself as, um, and you know, I think my story, I kind of like to talk about the clothes that I wear. Um, so when I was a kid, I wore a lot of Hawaiian shirts, like my cool fifth grade teacher, Mr. Tanaka. Um, I wore puffy vests, like in sync. <laughs> um, I sort of, you know, modeled a lot of my fashion choices after men that I, <laughs> that I thought were cool. Um, and yeah, I guess I, I didn't realize at the time that that was, that would sort of stick around. I sort of thought I would grow out of it. Um, or that's, that's what my mom hoped at least. Um, as I got a little older and into middle school, I think that's when, um, some more sort of tension around my gender started growing. Um, I think my mom, like many mothers, thought it was her job to help me grow up and become a woman and, you know, learn about makeup and stuff like that. Um, 
but I wasn't that interested. I think I, for my, I think 12th birthday, um, some of my friends gave me a makeover at school and, you know, eyeliner is not fun. <laughs> um, I liked people telling me that I was pretty, but I didn't feel pretty. It just felt like a costume sort of um, more than days when I was wearing jeans and t-shirts um, and being more myself. And, uh, you know, I had to wear dresses to, to church or to cousins, quinceañeras or bat mitzvahs and things like that. Um, but that was sort of more playing dress up. It wasn't me being an elevated version of myself. It didn't feel like, um, yeah. So I think being sort of more masculine or tomboyish felt more comfortable to me. And I knew that I sort of had to quotation marks, right. Had to dress up in more feminine clothing when, when I was expected to, um, yeah. So time went on. Eventually, you know, high school, I got a boyfriend for a little while. Um, I also had a girlfriend for a little while, although we sort of conceptualized of ourselves as um, straight with exceptions. <laughs> uh, we didn't talk much to anyone about our relationship. There were some friends who sort of found out and were really supportive, and that was nice. But for the most part, uh, we were sort of on the down low. Um, and I can, you know, get more into that, uh, if we want, but I guess we're focusing more on gender. Um, so eventually I went to college, uh, and just, just for funsies, I took classes like gender and women's studies and LGBT studies and things that weren't officially part of my major, <laughs> um, just cause I thought they were fascinating. And at some point in a female sexuality class, I had, a, uh, an assignment to push the boundaries of my gender. And, you know, some, some of the people in the class took up a new hobby that they hadn't tried before um, or switched up the way that they talked or the way that they walked. And I, I went really hard one day and really leaned into um, changing up my whole identity. I, I went on a field trip for a different class and I painted on a beard and um, I really thought about the way that I, I talked and walked and interacted with people and took up a lot of space. Um, and it, di it didn't quite feel natural, sort of leaning into my masculinity that hard. <laughs> um, but I think it was fun to play with and to realize that gender is something that can be sort of fluid and we can be multifaceted and we can try new things over time and see what works. Um, and yeah, eventually I think I, I sort of have swung back and forth trying on different ways of exhibiting my gender. Uh, and I've ended up somewhere in the middle. So I identify now as genderqueer and that, that feels really comfortable to me. I use they, them pronouns, like I said, um, to me being genderqueer feels sort of like being a mixture of a man and a woman. Um, I think some people probably conceptualize it a little differently. Um, but that's, that's my definition for me. And yeah, eventually I think I started just, I, tr I traded all of my clothes with a trans woman friend of mine. <laughs> so I gave her all my dresses and she gave me a bunch of flannels. I still have my rainbow flannel. It's like my favorite clothing object to this day. Um, cause that came from her and 
yeah, it's been, it's been really freeing. I think knowing that this is me wearing, wearing masculine clothing all the time. When I dress up, I wear suits and ties. I love ties. I love wearing floral ties to sort of mix up uh, and, and lean a little, little femme in the pattern at least. And yeah, I think one of, one of my favorite, I'll close out with a, a favorite sort of gender queer clothing moment. Uh, I was going to Christmas at my partner's grandmother's house. So she was an older Mexican woman and she makes everyone Christmas jammies. She makes all the men one kind and all the women another kind. Um, and she asked my partner what to make for me. And she said, well, you know, they're sort of in the middle, so you can make them something, something totally different or I don't know, <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and eventually our Christmas jammies came and she had met me. This was around the time of my top surgery. So she had met me when I had a larger chest and my chest was flat when I actually got the Christmas jammies. So she got me the women's top. And because my chest was flat, it fit kind of low. It was a very low V-neck. So I sort of looked like, like Ricky Martin, but I felt like I rocked it. Um, and then the, the pants were the men's pants and I was in pictures with all the boys and in pictures with all the girls. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just felt really good to be sort of validated by Yaya in that moment, uh, who was cool with making me Christmas jammies for both sides. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you for listening to my story. Thanks, Kay. And how did you get involved with Speak Out? Um, so I started in Speak Out in 2016. It was pretty soon after I moved to Boston. And I actually was also in a speakers bureau in San Francisco, the San Francisco LGBT Speakers Bureau. Um, and yeah, it's just really fun sharing your story with different groups and seeing what sort of questions you get, uh, what sort of blank stares you get when you get to vocabulary they don't know and uh, figuring out what to expand on for people. Um, everyone just comes with such different biases and knowledge bases and it's just it's always fun meeting new people and and seeing how to meet them where they're at thank you um so i guess now we'll go to dave um uh, dave would you care to share uh, your story also absolutely emma thank you and Kay. i loved your story fantastic thank you um so i identify as a 66 year old guy um Oftentimes, you know, age in the gay community can be a really big thing. So I, I like to start off by saying that I do identify, as I said, as a gay guy or a gay dude, because I like to make it nice and relaxed. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up, first of all, in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is about the second biggest city in, in Massachusetts, about 50 miles from Boston. And uh, I was a really quiet kid. Um, I cried really easily. So, you know, the kids in first or second grade would often say, oh, Dave's crying again. Um, competitive sports I wasn't into at all, but I loved doing things like going fishing with my dad and playing catch with friends. As long as it wasn't competitive, I actually really enjoyed sports. Um, other identities that I have, I identify as Catholic. Um, and so... I think I remained Catholic because I never ran into those sort of fire and brimstone stories that are, that everybody uh, hears about. Um, 
and I still identify as Catholic to this day, although not Roman Catholic. Um, I identify also as an only child. And when I was growing up, uh, there were, let's see, 10 kids and three adults in a six-room Cape Cod home next to me. And on the other side, there were five kids. And across the street, there were seven. And here I was, uh, the only child. So it was okay, because when I wanted to go out and play, I just went into the street. And when I wanted to be by myself, I just went home. So it, it sort of worked out. But, um, you know, I kind of went through grade school, being a, the quiet kid, went into high school. And as kids started developing interests in the opposite sex, I kind of threw myself into studying. Um, I figured that was a good thing to do because I really couldn't out myself back in the 1970s. And so I studied like crazy. I didn't go to the junior prom. I didn't go to the senior prom. I started out college kind of the same way, but I loosened up toward the end of college, becoming involved in the college newspaper and radio station and meeting a lot more people, and then started exploring um, my sexuality a little bit. Um, so I went on a few dates here and there. That sort of turned into relationships that may have lasted a, a month or two. Eventually, I had a five-year um, relationship. But during that five-year relationship, um, one of the things that was going on in the world that I was really scared about um, was AIDS. This was the 80s, and I was petrified. And some of my friends around me um, developed AIDS, and... I started getting really nervous. So whenever I got a cold or any little symptom, I would get really, really nervous. I became afraid of doctors, afraid to go to the doctor, afraid of what they might say. Um, and eventually, I think because of all the stress, I developed a digestive order, a digestive disorder called uh, irritable bowel syndrome. And uh, with that, um, you know, I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? Do I keep going rushing to the doctor? How do I handle this? And eventually, you know, I dealt with this for a few years. Eventually, um, I ran into this wonderful gentleman who ended up being my husband, who I now live with. And I remember him saying to me, um, I think you should probably come out to your parents because I think that might help with the irritable bowel syndrome, it would at least get rid of some of the stress. And so I said, really? And so I was like, do I tell my parents? Do I not tell my parents? I've been holding this in for years. You know, being an only child, they're going to say, oh, I'll never have grandchildren. You know, something may, something may happen as a result of this. But I told my parents, I went out to Worcester area and I sat my mom and dad down and I said, mom, dad, I'm gay. And there was pause and a million and one things were going through my mind. Like dad's going to kick me out of the house. They'll never want to see me again. Mom's going to start crying. And then the next thing I know, my dad just says, oh, we knew that. And I was like, oh my God, I've been holding all this in for years. And sure enough, my husband was right. Um, not quite my husband yet, but my husband was right. And uh, all of the stress started going away. And I went back to the gastroenterologist and he said, how's the IBS going? And I said, well, it seems to be gone. And he goes, 
just doesn't disappear. That's usually a long-term thing. And I said, no, seems to be gone. And he's like, what do you attribute that to? And I said, I told my parents I was gay. And he said, wow. He said, the things we do to ourselves, that mind-body connection is just so incredibly strong. So my life started getting better. Um, I told more people. My mother started telling everybody, my aunts, uncles, all the relatives. She started telling people for me. Um, and life started getting better and better and better. And eventually, uh, you know, my current husband and I, we found an apartment. Uh, a couple of years later, we, we bought a house. So we moved into a house. A few years later, we had a 130-person Catholic wedding. Um, and then after that, we got our first dog. Um, and then several years later, we got our second dog and we expanded the house and life is good. So that's my story. Thank you. And Dave, can you tell us how did you get involved with Speak Out? Sure. So, you know, I had been wanting to get involved in Speak Out for years, um, but I was working full time. And although I went through a training a long time ago, I found I wasn't able to do any of the speaking engagements because so many of them happened um, during the day. And so it was a goal of mine that when I retired, um, that I would become involved with Speak Out Boston. And so about a month after I retired, there was the opportunity to go through a Speak Out training session uh, that Ellen was hosting. And so I went through that and loved every minute of it and couldn't wait to start uh, sharing my story. And so that's kind of how it all happened for me. Hi, this is Emma. I am a co-host of Trans Positive here on KBU Community Radio, and I'm also the current president of the Board of Directors of KBU. I just want to remind you that um, if you can, please go to kboo.fm slash give and give. At KBU, we prove every day that people-powered radio has the ability to bring us together across distances and give us hope when we feel despair. Your friends here at KBU Community Radio want to remind you that generosity has the same power. Join thousands of KBU supporters from all around the world, and let's rally together to build stronger communities. We are community-funded, so please just go to kboo.fm slash give, or text KBOO to this number, 44321. Great. Well, um, those were some really great stories. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I'd, I'd like to get kind of more into those a little bit and also uh, just talk more about the, you know, I mean, what is it like to be uh, a speaker? Um, so let's let's go back to Ellen for a minute. Ellen, uh, first of all, I'd like if you could maybe tell me a little bit about the history of Speak Out um, as an organization. Like, why was this started 50 years ago and why is it still going on? Yeah, great question. Um, so when you think about 50 years ago, it was just like three short years after the Stonewall Rebellion. And so there's been a burst of activism. People are getting motivated and activated to, to raise awareness about the community. So a group of gay men and a group of lesbians in Boston got together and they said, we need to make a difference. We need to tell our story. We need to 
break through all the stigma and this, the stereotypes that people have about our community and just let them know real people because you know the way they talk about us, they don't know who we are. And so they, they formed, first it was the Gay Speakers Bureau and the Gay and Lesbian Speakers Bureau. And gradually the name changed and evolved into Speak Out because we wanted to focus on what we do and um, the action that we do. Um, and really it's just over the, over 50 years, a lot has stayed the same in terms of our format and the desire to have just average LGBTQ plus people telling our stories. Um, we, uh, kind of see the same sort of audiences as well, though now with our virtual component, which has happened only since the pandemic, we um, often go far beyond Boston, which is quite amazing because we had never done a virtual engagement until COVID. And so our range was mostly greater Boston. And then some of, sometimes people within New England would reach out to us. And as long as our speakers were able to go and travel, then they would go. Um, but we really hadn't spoken outside New England until COVID. And now we regularly speak to businesses that have people across the U.S. and sometimes in other, other countries as well. And that's been like the wonderful part of um, having Kay still speak with us, which is so great, you know, that even though they moved out to Portland, when the opportunity came up to do more virtual assignments and Kay's schedule could kind of, you know, match a particular assignment or two, it's been wonderful to have them be part of, um, of the, the Bureau. And we have people in New Hampshire, we have people in New York um, who can still participate through the virtual um, engagements. And that is really wonderful. So I think what I would like to emphasize about our history is that because these are average folks in the community, they speak to the moment, whichever moment they're in. And so Speak Out speakers have talked about marriage equality. We talked about HIV AIDS within the community. We talked about um, you know, discrimination in the workplace, discrimination in the, in the military, um, trans rights, um, all sorts of topics that were affecting our community. Those things come up in our engagements. And so whatever is happening in the moment of our community gets conveyed through our engagements um, to, to our audiences. And that I think is really powerful. Thank you. Um, Kay, what, uh, what are some questions that people normally throw at you um, after you've done a, a speech? Like, are there some pretty common questions people ask you that they're just, you know, maybe they're not, didn't, didn't know something and you've helped them? Or uh, what are some common questions you get? Yeah, lately, I think a lot of people are so, they're sort of on board with uh, with trans issues. They just don't quite know how to implement, um, especially language has been coming up. 
so people ask me about they them pronouns and they're like, how do I say, how do I talk about someone if it's just, it's just one person, it's confusing. Um, so I'll usually go through, you know, K through a party at their house. They made their famous enchiladas and congratulated themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that's been coming up a lot is pronouns. And then Ellen mentioned the workplace. Um, so yeah, I think lately in terms of trans stuff at the workplace, it's been about you know, using pronouns when you're introducing yourselves or in your email signature or on your office door um, and implementing policies. If you have a dress code, making sure that it's gender neutral and just about, you know, professionalism or whatever it is that you're trying to uh, establish. Um, workplace pronouns. Uh, also, a lot of people have kids um, who are coming out as trans and non-binary, especially. So people are trying to figure out how to support youth um, and I've actually worked with LGBT youth near Boston. So I, I have a lot of advice on that too, <laughs> that I could give. Thanks. Um, Dave, what about you? What are some pretty common questions you get from people when you give, when, when you give speeches? I mean, what do people ask you? I think the most common one is um, how can you be both Catholic and gay? And, you know, oftentimes in, in the story, I share that when I was a younger person, start just starting to come out, you know, I would say, I'm Catholic and I'm gay. I'd kind of whisper it. Um, but then later on, now I'm saying I'm gay, but I'm having trouble claiming the Catholicism. <laughs> so I whisper that I'm Catholic. Um, and so I think it's important you know, for people to realize that oftentimes the religion that you grew up with um, is still very important to you as you get older. Sometimes you need to make modifications like I did by not going to a mainstream Catholic church. I belong to a, a progressive, inclusive Catholic community called Dignity, which I think there's a chapter in Portland. I know there's, there's definitely one in Seattle. Um, and so that has really empowered me and really helped me to integrate um, my spirituality and my sexuality as, as that really is a progressive community that is primarily gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, uh, but also starting to get people that may be parents of, of kids that identify as gay or trans. Um, so attracting uh, more progressive people in general too. So Ellen, um, in an era of social media, um, when everybody's connected and they're online, um, what role does the Speakers Bureau play today? How has the role of Speakers Bureau changed over, over time? Interesting. Um, I've been with Speak Out well, as a speaker for probably about 12 years, as the executive director for eight years. And um, so I can speak to sort of being involved with that time period. Um, the, gosh, how has it evolved? It's interesting that I think that I, I see so many, so many different kinds of audiences reach out to us to, get information. And I think that's an interesting way that, um, that more 
spaces are, are looking to access what we do. Um, I think like when I first first even came on as ED, we did probably a lot more schools. Uh, like the percentage of things that we were doing was probably more with the schools and colleges. And now I see so many more of the, the businesses as part of their DEIB activities in particular, that they know that that's important work to do within the workplace. So I think that that has expanded tremendously. Um, and then I see, we, I get contacted by um, community organizations. We're doing one next week um, for a community, Inclusive Westwood um, is doing a community event that we're involved with. And that's just a way that they're really trying to help within their own community, educate people um, to understand LGBTQ plus issues uh, better. So I think that that I think is probably where I've seen the most change. I'll also mention that <clears throat> in the last eight years, there's been a tremendous difference in terms of how our trans speakers are requested because even when I've only started eight years ago, there were some places that would say, do not send us transgender speakers. They would say explicitly not to, because they weren't ready. They weren't ready to discuss it. And now almost to a client, everyone requests, if you, if, if you can possibly send us a transgender or non-binary speaker, please do included in the panel. And um, it's, it's remarkable to see how that has changed over time, that people really understand how important it is um, to discuss, to understand, um, and to make changes in their community. So I think that's quite remarkable. Thank you. Um, Kay, one of the questions that uh, we get a lot in the trans community, it seems to come up a lot right now. Um, there's there's so much legislation right now specifically aimed at trying to take away the rights of trans kids. Um, yeah. Every now and then there's a rare bill that's actually out there to protect trans kids, but most uh, most of what's going on right now. And there's, um, you know, there's a lot of really bad language that's used in the media about, and I'm not gonna repeat the words here because I really hate the words, but I think we both know some of the words that are used uh, for people who are both kind of advocates for trans kids and also um, for the phenomena of trans kids kind of, you know, coming out within, uh, you know, within the schools. Um, how do you address those kinds of questions? Do, do, do they ever come to you? Um, and how do you, how do you approach that kind of conversation when you're speaking to a bunch of people who maybe aren't familiar with the issues? I think one sort of limitation of a speaker's bureau is that the audience chooses to be there for the most part, um, except when we're speaking to classes. Um, but kids for the, for the most part are, are further along in their understanding of gender than the adults who really don't get it. Um, yeah, so I guess what I like bringing up when people do talk about sort of this, this think of the children narrative um, is that it's been done before, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I saw the movie Milk, you know, like in the 70s, they were uh, talking about not letting LGBT people be teachers. 
this is the same sort of narrative narrative being rehashed and it doesn't actually have a basis in reality it has a basis in people's initial feelings and feelings are not facts um it's it's they're they're easier to manipulate than having people sit down and listen to actual statistics like the other day i I read there are more anti-trans kids in sports bills than there are trans kids in sports (laughs) (laughs) um i think it was trans girls specifically um but yeah, it's just playing on people's fears. And I think we can be better than that. I believe in us. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Dave, you, in, in your, in your um, talk, you, you, you did mention religion um, a, a little bit. How, uh, how does religion either support or uh, not support queer people in their coming out stories? Oh, thank you. I don't know if I can speak for all religions, but, you know, particularly with regard to Christianity and um, progressive Catholic people, um, there is so much um, in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, about um, loving everyone, loving thy neighbor, caring about people. Um, That was everything, really, that, that Christ talked about. And so that's where where I put my emphasis. And in the Older Testament, where people think they're talking about um, gay relationships, um, a lot of the the places where people think that's being talked about is um, in Leviticus, where it really is about prostitution and worshiping false idols and and other things like that. It really has nothing to do with... um, you know, modern day relationships that people are in that are loving and giving and fulfilling. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, thanks. Emma, do you mind if I jump in on that for a second? Please. Well, I just, because I have a story and I sometimes share this um, in our engagements. My uncle, my dad's brother was gay, Um, but he did not come out until much later in life. He was probably maybe late forties, maybe early fifties. And what's, and so he lived a real double life. He was the, he was the son who stayed home on the farm in Kansas to take care of their mother um, after, especially after my grandfather had died. So he stayed in that community, in this small farm community to take care of her. And he lived, he lived a double life. And so when he would go off on vacation, he could go to a city and be gay. And then he'd come back and live the rest of his life as just, you know, the good son uh, taking care of his mother. So when she passed, he found a church, a metropolitan church. Um, and that community was what gave him the, the courage and power to come out to his family, his community, and to find the love of his life. And so I, I really think that that's, it's such an important place for people who, who, who do have that, who, who need a spiritual home, who want a religious space, um, but also need that feeling of acceptance. And it's wonderful to, you know, that he found that um, in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> so just wanted to share that.
Thanks. So Ellen, um, you coming back to you. Um, so you, you mentioned you've been with Speak Out for 12 years. Do you ever have conversations with people who were involved in Speak Out like from the beginning, like 50 years ago? Do, do any of the people who were public speakers 50 years ago at Speakers Bureau still speak for Speak Out today? Thank you for asking about that. So we, I am in contact with one person who was very involved in the early years, not quite at the 50 year mark, um, but he was involved, I would say, I think around 45 years ago and was one of the early people he's, and because we're planning our 50th party, I, I, we're really hoping that Warren will be able to come to the party. He lives out in Western Mass. Um, and so, uh, it would be great to, to have him there. So he is definitely the one person who that we know from the furthest back. But we still have people who um, who are who are current speakers who have spoken with Speak Out for over twenty and twenty five years, um, and so they've really seen quite an arc of change for the organization and for the for what we talk about and that kind of thing. Um, I've been trying to find as many people as possible um, for the anniversary to connect with those who've had um, different relationships with the organization over time. Um, and it, it's amazing though, like the, the things that people share are definitely how different the audiences are. Because if you can imagine even 25 years ago, you don't have to step back 50 years, um, the level of hostility is so different now that you really would encounter, let's say 25 years ago and, be, and beyond, many, many more audience members who were skeptical, who had negative feelings, who you know, needed to express those negative feelings in some way during the Q&A. Um, and that I think has really changed a lot. Um, and, you know, and we welcome a good discussion in, in, um, in a safe environment. It's not like we want, we expect everyone to just, you know, accept what we're telling them and don't say anything about their own feelings, because it's good to express a feeling so that you can open yourself up to become educated and to maybe burst a stereotype or whatever you have in your mind. So we do welcome to have um, discussions with our audience members about things that they're uncomfortable with. Um, but it just doesn't, it doesn't happen on a really negative, aggressive level like it used to. Thank you. Um, Dave, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of your talk, um, you know, you, you, you made sure to let folks know that you were 60, 68. I'm not quite there yet. 66. 66. I shouldn't have said that. That's what I thought you said. Okay, at a point. Dave, um, you mentioned um, in your talk that you were 66. Um, so you've had a chance to kind of see things change. Um, would, you, would you say that things are better now than they were maybe when you first were coming out or first were, you know, kind of coming to terms with who you were as a person. How, has it gotten better? 
I feel like it's gotten tremendously um, better for me. I, I was really leading uh, in my 20s. I was really leading two separate lives. You know, I would have my Friday, Saturday and Sundays where I'd be together with my gay friends. And, you know, during during the week in my work environment, I would be Dave, who, you know, didn't date anybody who appeared to be pretty asexual and um, didn't talk about relationships at all. You know, that that was a lot of the cause of my stress earlier on. My my parents didn't know um, that I was gay. My friends didn't know that I was gay. Um, people that were out were made fun of. Um, now I see a totally different world where, you know, I can, in, in particularly in the area that I live in, in, in Boston, uh, just outside of Cambridge, um, everybody, all of my neighbors know that I'm gay. I feel pretty relaxed about letting people know that I'm gay. Um, I went to a town event not too long ago, where I was filling out a form and the person said, oh, you know, give this to your wife too. And, you know, I felt really comfortable in a really relaxed way of saying, oh, my husband, but that's okay. And the person on the other end was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I do that all the time. Please forgive me. You know, it's just, to me, it's a totally different world. Um, so, okay, when you started your speech. Um, you mentioned that you were genderqueer. Can you explain what is genderqueer and how, like for people who don't understand, like how do you come to where you settle with your identity? Like how you name yourself? Like how, how do you decide between like your trans masculine or your gender fluid or your gender queer or your non-binary? How, how do you kind of fi figure that out? That's a great question. Wow. Um, so I think it sort of starts off with the word queer, uh, which I think, you know, it just it just means weird, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. It, it means not the norm. Um, and people usually apply it to, to sexuality first. Um, but being gender queer means that your gender is not just just man all the time always has been, or not just woman all the time always has been. Um, so for me, genderqueer is sort of uh, a rebellious or activist term in that way, taking after the word queer. Um, it's like, it's hard to define and that's on purpose. <laughs> and you don't really have to know every detail of my gender. You know, you don't have to know how my gender is different on the street, in the house, at work, in bed, in all of these different places, how it how it plays out in my my interests or the way that I dress at different times. Um, so that's what I like about the word genderqueer. Uh, and uh, like I said earlier, I, I define it for myself as sort of somewhere in between man and woman. Um, I think, yeah, non-binary terms, are they're sort of wishy-washy and we're still figuring them out and we still sort of argue about the semantics <laughs> um and that's that's okay i think we're all sort of um figuring out how to how to define these things that it's helpful to define and ultimately how much does it matter um in in most settings <laughs> Um, 
So I, yeah, it's non-binary, just to define in in case anyone doesn't know, is not within the binary of just man or just woman. Um, So you can be non-binary and consider yourself agender. Like, I reject gender. It's not for me. No, thank you. Agender. You can also be gender fluid, which means that you sort of go between different genders. Um, And maybe I sort of did that for a while. Um, But I, I think for the most part, I am just, just me all the time. Um, And that's something that I like about gender queer. It, it sort of feels fixed to me. uh, But also it's, it's sort of blurry for other people. (laughs) Like you have to get to know me if you want to know, you know, if my voice changes when I get excited or <laughs> whatever it is, um, how, how I personally change over time. But for me, I'm just always genderqueer and I like that personally. Transgender people don't live here. I've never met anyone who's transgender. I swear I don't know someone who's transgender. Transgender and non-binary people like me hear this all the time. But according to the HRC Foundation, there are more than 2 million transgender people in the United States. We live in every community across this country. You might be surprised to hear that there are more transgender and non-binary people in the United States than there are. Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart locations combined. In fact, if you put us all together, there'd be more non-binary and transgender folks than the populations of DC, or Nebraska, or Maine, or Idaho, or West Virginia. As a matter of fact, 15 states have a lower population than the amount of trans folks in the U.S. So here are a few things to keep in mind. You don't always know when a person is trans. But we're your neighbors, your co-workers, your students, your customers, and even your friends and family. We exist in every culture, todas las culturas, throughout human history. And while we're more visible than ever before, sometimes you just don't see us. So when you hear about politicians pushing forward discriminatory bills, know this, these bills address problems that aren't even real. Problems that don't actually exist. But we do. 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 And we need your support. Great, thank you. So we're just about out of time. Um, Ellen, can you tell folks how to get in touch with Speak Out if they're interested in speakers? Um, uh, and Dave and Kay, if you have anything that you'd like to share, last thoughts, or if um, people would like to get in touch with you and you want to share that, uh, feel free to. Uh, we'll just kind of go around uh, just kind of with final thoughts and connections if people want to make them. We'll start with you, Ellen. Great, thank you, Emma. And thanks for inviting us to participate today. Um, It's really nice to be able to share our work um, with your audience. It's really wonderful. Um, So you can get in touch with Speak Out. You can find us uh, at our website, speakoutboston.org. That's a good space to reach out. It has different connections on the website where where you can get in touch. Also, you can just email info at speakoutboston.org. We have um, Facebook, we're on Twitter and Instagram. So find us there, connect with us through that um, and stay aware of what we are doing. So 
Um, yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And uh, Dave and Kay, any uh, final thoughts or if people want to connect with you? Okay. I think Kay gave me a little nod, so we'll go from there. Um, so I think the big thing for me and, and the thing that I've, I've learned over the years, one of the most important things we can do in life to really show that we care about people in general is just listen. Whether it's you know, listening to someone that's gay and you're just realizing that for the first time or somebody that's trans or even just listening to somebody that you think is racist or homophobic or whatever. It's important for people really to be listened to. And, and you may find like golden nuggets in there, things that you, you know, thought you knew about people but didn't or assumptions that you may have made, uh, the way you've prejudged people or whatever. Um, it's just important really to hear people's stories. And that's, and that's what we do in Speak Out. Thank you. Um, and I would just like to encourage everyone to support LGBT closed spaces, especially <laughs> um, if there is an LGBT youth organization near you, like Smirk in Portland, um, or out Metro West near Boston or Bagley near Boston. Um, those sort of closed spaces where LGBT people can get to know ourselves and get to know our community and not have to worry about allies <laughs> or non-allies uh, feelings and just get to ex explore who we are and be comfortable. Um, those spaces are really important, just as important as if you are a straight cisgender ally, learning all you can and being all as supportive as you can be. Um, part of that is letting people sort of recharge in spaces that uh, where they can fully be themselves and not have to worry about you. <laughs> um, so there's there's a balance to be struck. Let, let us hang out just together and support that. And of course, do your best um, where you are concerned. Great, thanks so much for joining us on Transpositive. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Emma.